and gentlemen, welcome to episode number two of A Difference in Thought. I'm your host, Charlie Bray, and here at A Difference in Thought, A Difference in Thought engages and processes recent events, culture, philosophy, public policy, and faith through the ancient art of truth-telling. Uh, join the conversation with me and gain an alternative perspective with A Difference in Thought. As always, this podcast is an honor and homage of the work and mission of the great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and here, as always, you believe the theme, basic arithmetic teaches us that there can be no difference without subtraction. Welcome to episode number two. Uh, episode number two is powered by this $79, <laughs> this $79 uh, charger I had to buy for my MacBook because, man, anybody share my pain in MacBook chargers? I feel like they're so fragile, right? Like... They just peel apart. Like I don't. I feel like they're made of like orange and lemon peels. I don't know what they're made. What 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 it is. But this is like the third charger I've had to buy. But they're always fragile and you know it's hard to run a computer without power. But um, though that seems random, I'm actually going to be talking about fragility, power, privilege, profit. We're tackling all of that today. So the official title, as you've seen me logged in, is. Um, the injustice of fragility and resilience. And we're pretty much exploring the power dynamic of who gets to be fragile and who has to be resilient. Again, who gets to be fragile and who has to be resilient uh, in a uh, in power dynamic. So that can either be uh, white privilege versus uh, non-white resilience that can be male uh, privilege uh, so uh, just in keeping with the theme of what we were kind of discussing um, really it's it's about white fragility and black resilience male fragility and female um, resilience and we talk about nationalism as well. And we can kind of talk about what uh, fragility looks like from a nationalist standpoint and some of the comments of the president and also talk about classism. And so uh, we are talking today about the topic of fragility and resilience. So how we kind of want to open this up is let's kind of have a working definition of fragility. Now, some of you guys might have heard the term thrown around. A lot of times you hear specifically white fragility, and it's really um, just for the purpose of this podcast, we're going to use this definition, right? Fragility is an attempt to silence or suppress voices that seek to challenge how the privileged participate in the power structure, okay? So I'm going to say that again slowly. Fragility is an attempt to silence or suppress voices that seek to challenge how the privileged participate in the power structure. Okay, so uh, give an example of white fragility, right? So a lot of times when minorities want to talk about the true experience of America, and again, we talked about in episode one about the loving mirror and being a truth teller. 
right? And so when a lot of people, whether that's uh, Malcolm X or that's Dr. King, or as we talked about last week, whether that's Colin Kaepernick, uh, white fragility seeks to, uh, and often politely, right, uh, suppress the voice of truth that says, this is my reality. And not only is this my reality, it's a reality that you have designed to profit off of, right? And so white fragility often is, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Or, oh, let's, let's, you know, kumbaya, let's all be nice. Let's, let's talk to everyone and in effect, not be anyone. And so being colorblind is also a form of white fragility where I just don't want, I just don't see it, right? But you cannot see some, you cannot help something that you cannot see, right? It's easy to be blind to something when you're not affected by it. But if you are affected by it every day, day in and day out, uh, it is something that you have a privilege to be blind to, but someone else does not. This became very clear to me. I had a friend uh, in college. His name was Paul, and he was bound to a wheelchair. And so uh, around the campus, around the school, you know, I could be blind to the fact that there weren't wheelchair ramps or accessible um, uh, uh, elevators or or vans that kind of were available to if we were going on trips that could help him into that. Because of my privilege, I was blind to it, right? Um, but in, in walking with him and in seeing his life, I was able to see the things that I was I was blind to. Now, it would be terrible if he said, hey, I can't get into this building because there's no ramp. It would be terrible, right? Everyone pretty much would agree it would be terrible <laughs> if I said, oh, I don't see handicap. I don't see disability. Uh, you know, it's just a, it's, a, it's a state of mind. And, you know, no matter how politely I said that to him, right, uh, it wouldn't change the reality that in order for him to get into this building that I can get into, it's going to change how I part has requires that my participation with the power structure change. And so anytime that someone is saying, uh, hey, we are going to change. I'm requiring I'm showing you that this is wrong, even though you profit off of it. And I'm this required in order for this to be different. It requires you to change the way that you participate in the power structure. Right. And so fragility is an improper response to the mirror of the truth teller. It allows a privilege to continue under the deceit that, um, you know, their participation doesn't uphold the status quo. We talked about this in episode one. And again, this is a great book I recommend. Uh, uh, Democracy in Black, How Racism Still Enslaves the American Soul by Eddie Gloud Jr., and again, it talks about how white supremacy is sustained by everyday behavior. And so I kind of want to break out these things, these words that I'm kind of throwing around because I don't want to assume that everybody's familiar with it and in, in kind of in kind of what I'm saying, right? And so we're gonna talk about privilege, we're talking about profit, we're gonna talk about power structure, and we're gonna talk about participation. Now Privilege. Uh, privilege is, is 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 quite simple, right? Privilege means that you profit unjustly, right? And so a lot of times 
um, something that gets left out when we're talking about uh, privilege uh, is what we're not saying about privilege. So a lot of times people can get offended because they think that I'm I we we're saying certain things that we're not. Some people may say, "Well, I had a rough life. How can you call me privileged? You don't know what my childhood was like or the things that I had to do or I had to work really hard, you know." And so a lot of times people uh you know, it's a hurdle that I seem to hit, right? So and also privilege might, they may say, well, I didn't do it, right? I wasn't back then. I didn't enslave anyone. I didn't hurt anyone. Why, why are you uh, uh, holding me to this standard as if I'm the, I'm the bad person? And so let's just get to the point of what we're talking about with privilege, right? So certain things to understand. Because I seem to hit this hurdle whenever I'm trying to explain privilege to people, whether that's racial privilege, gender privilege, religious privilege, um, uh, privilege in, in the realm of morality. So uh, when, you, when you're talking about past offenses, right, privilege doesn't mean you did it. Privilege doesn't mean you did the past offense. Privilege doesn't even mean that you're currently racist. Privilege doesn't mean, you know, that you were uh, uh, guilty of the acts that occurred, right? Privilege just means that you profit from the current situation, Right. Privilege, privilege doesn't mean that you did it. It just means that you profit. Okay, I'm going to say it again. Privilege doesn't mean that you did it. It just means that you profit from what was done. So also, I also want to say, and I want to be sensitive in this also, privilege doesn't mean that you didn't suffer. Right. So when we're saying you're privileged, we're not saying that you were protected and sheltered from all sorts of just the evils of this world that happened. Right. You can be privileged and and be currently poor. You can be you can be privileged and you can still you can still have had some traumatic things happen in your life, right? You can still have had lost loved ones and uh, missed out on opportunities. And I'm not saying that just because you're privileged means you're you're living your best life. I, I'm just saying, privilege doesn't mean you didn't suffer. It just means you profit. So it means. Yes, that tragedy thing happened, but also due to this power structure that's set up systemically, you also have benefits from that that someone else doesn't do. And it's a benefit that's unjust because it is built on typically a lie or a fantasy, as we talked about in, in, in uh, last week's episode. Not strongly encouraging everyone to listen to episode number one. And so when we're talking about privilege, again, it just means that um, it just means that you profit from it, right? So privilege and profit normally go hand in hand, and so one um, good way that we can talk about that, I'm going to share a little exercise, and then we'll have a real life, some real life examples as well, as far as the the um, the relationship between privilege, profit power structures and participation. And so when we talk about power structures, we're talking about things, uh, uh, what these are systems, rules, laws, customs. So again, systems, rules, laws, customs within a culture that gives power and privilege to one group of people at the expense of another. Okay. So we're going to say that again. Um, 
a power structure are systems, rules, customs, laws within a culture that gives power and privilege to a group of people at the expense of another, right? So let's break down the different categories that we're talking about in fragility for today. So when we talk about, uh, well, we'll talk about privilege first before we talk about fragility. So with white privilege, it is based on the myth that whiteness is, white people are superior uh, genetically, intellectually, um, to uh, black people. Some people biblically based based it on like the curse of Ham, which which is a gross misinterpretation of that passage uh, in the Bible. It, uh, some people based it on the doctrine of discovery where God just gave white people permission to um, <laughs> take whatever country the, they they wanted and as as long as they were uh, as long as they weren't Christian but then they changed the definition of who could be Christian only white people because they made Jesus white and so um, so so we see customs laws uh, 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 and things that were set up in the culture to prop up people who are described as white and to tear down people who are not that. So you can look at slavery, obviously, uh, for 400 years of slavery. Uh, and then the chattel, specifically the chattel slavery, which then treated people as property or almost like cattle so that it almost, it even deprived uh, the humanity away from uh, people of color. And then you can fast forward and you can look at uh, uh, Jim, the Black Codes uh, and Jim Crow laws, segregation, uh, and the, the gross difference in uh, punishment in the war on drugs for, peop for peop the drugs that people of color use and then the, the drugs that typically white people use. And so you see these customs and you see these 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 types of things and even even you know the 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 microaggressions of saying you know these people don't read these people aren't smart and you know uh when you when you look at uh blackface and a lot of the caricatures that were um very damaging to the public's image of of black people and then when you even look at um uh white flight and 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 how you know people thought that literally the presence of a black person brought down the 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 uh profit that they had in their in their real estate uh and so you see these these customs and all of these other things that are uh that make a power structure when we talk about race right when we talk about uh well that's a lot so i'll, I'll let's let's for the sake of illustration let's focus right now on on race and so you see these power structures that come up. And so we're talking about truth telling, right? So we're talking about um, moving people from fantasy to reality and not reality to fantasy. So the movement from reality to fantasy, when you talk about power structures, is typically that in the issues of race uh, and even with with the problems between um, genders that, that, that happen because of all, a lot of the male power structure, the patriarchy that, that was set up in this country and a lot of places around the world, uh, a lot of people teach that the power structure, um, the only participation that needs to change 
is that you just need to be more polite to the people at the bottom of the power structure, right? Well, don't say mean things. Uh, uh, don't 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 uh, look at them differently. Uh, you know, and so a lot of people will say, "Oh, I'm I'm polite. I have a lot of black friends. I have a lot of." <laughs> that's always the worst when you have to count, right? Now, I know Jamal and Malcolm, and you know, <laughs> that's when you know it's not going well, right? Uh, so so the it's this this myth that if I'm just polite and colorblind and 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 kind in my heart and I sing kumbaya and xyz that um the power structure this will undo all of the things that the power structure did right so but you know though you know calling someone the n-word and and all of these racial epithets and all of this this aggression and these violent acts do indeed what they were indeed um tied in with uh the power structure that was set in place. It's not the only thing that was done. And so Dr. King actually talks about this where in uh, 67 and 68 when he transitions uh, from the civil rights movement to the poor people's campaign, he starts to say, you know, we've got to change the way that we talk about supremacy or, or for the sake of this conversation, the power structure, because we've are so attuned to think when we think about the white power structure, we just think about, oh, you know, the Klan and, you know, releasing dogs on people and violence and, you know, um, all of these very physical things that that happen. And he was saying that we have to transition from just thinking about that, but to thinking about privilege and power and taking away from one person and, and, and giving to another. And so he starts the poor people's campaign where he and he even quotes and he says, you know, um, the civil rights movement was great, but it didn't cost anyone a dollar to desegregate a lunch counter. Right. There was no check that had to be written. And so he just talks about uh, as he talked about often, you know, the, the pay, the paycheck for life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness uh, comes about comes back as insufficient funds for the African-American when it really when for the white people, it overflows and there's always room to do more for white people. Right. And it's, he gives the example of of um, of uh, of when they were expanding out into the West, how the U.S. government gave farmers uh, different uh, grants and and low uh interest loans to, to to go out there and develop and to build trades and how they 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 built and provided power and resources for white people to establish themselves but african americans not so much frederick douglas talks about this where he says the the african american was set free but set free to what right uh, whitney young of the national urban league he he noticed after uh the world world one or world war two where the the American government had a marshall plan that would pay all of these different um European countries that were bombed to rebuild and 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 pretty much get back on their feet and so he was calling for a domestic marshall plan that was going to return um uh power to people that had pretty much been disenfranchised for four hundred for four hundred years and so dr King in 68 says he was going to march to Washington and get his get his check, which was pretty much Resurrection City, where he where a bunch of poor people marched to the Capitol and they were going to demand that uh, 
the government give them uh, actually financial, you know, money, actual plans and, and, and a share in the power. He pretty much was challenging America that in order for this power structure to be undone, it requires you to change how you participate with the power structure. If your participation in the power structures is where you're only lifting up white people and not people of color, or you're only lifting up rich people and not poor people, then it's a call to not just be polite, but to change how you participate with that very structure. And of course, about literally a month before he was about to go, he was assassinated. Um, and so again, when we talk about truth telling and the smashing of the mirror, and so again, that, that, uh, but all across the way, he, he was met with this kind of this white fragility that was saying, oh, that you're asking for too much or or or, uh, you know, it, it's it's not that bad or, or you don't know what you're talking. So, it was, again, trying to suppress the voice. And so white fragility also is about power because it's about who gets to control the conversation. Who do we bend over backwards to to make sure that we do not offend. Right. And so uh, the the person who has the most power in the power dynamic gets to be fragile but the person on the lower spectrum has to be resilient, right? Oh, well, you know, they, they've been through so much. That's just what they do. You know, they're strong people. They get to be resilient as if, as if the oppression doesn't have effects on people. And so the, the reason why fragility is unjust is that the people who have done the most damage in the, in, in, in the power structure reserve the right to be protected and to be fragile as in, well, don't, don't, say too much truth about your experience because, you know, it might scare away white people or, or I've been in, in several meetings where we talk about racial reconciliation and trying to do things citywide and partnering with people and people saying, well, you know, the, the white churches aren't there yet. And, and, uh, you know, we, we, we have to, uh, make sure they're okay. And they're, they're still there. And, and, and it's like, Hey, yes, at a basic human level, you want to make sure you're respecting people's uh, emotions and people's experience, but they are not the the victims in this situation, right? Uh, they need to build tough skin and to be able to handle the truth from the truth tellers of the people who actually have have uh, suffered at the expense of their profit. But white people aren't told to be resilient. Black people often are, and non-white people often are. And especially when you when we when we later on are going to talk about the dynamics of 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 gender, how often women are told to be resilient. And, oh, you know, you know, don't say men are dogs. Don't say, you know, don't you know, not all men are like this and trying to, you know, like wash over the truth of, of, of their facts. And when they try to talk about culture, and when they try to talk, you know, and we'll we'll get into that later into the episode. And so. What we're talking about right now is a call for a change in participation because politeness isn't going to do it. You can have all the black friends you want. You could never say the N word. You could, you know, not be racist or be colorblind or whatever the heck that you want. But guess what? That's not going to change uh, centuries of laws and customs and power structures that have kept people out. And so the proper response is not fragility, but allowing the other people to be fragile, to be open and, and saying, well, I don't want to just 
be ignorant and, and, and crush what they're trying to say. Let me listen. It's my turn to be resilient. If you're, if you're at the top of the power structure, it's your turn to be resilient. And it's the person at the bottom of the power structure's turn to be fragile. As the Bible says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. This is the changing of that power structure, right? Uh, and also, when we're talking about uh, fantasy to reality, uh, resilience is a fantasy. It is something that we tell ourselves when uh, we at the top of the power structure, uh, instead of to avoid feeling uh, guilty or convicted about how we have treated a people group, we just say, oh, they are resilient as as if they are less than human and, and they also don't feel loss and and, and disappointment and, and the pains of being overlooked. And so um, uh, I was I was listening to, uh, I believe, the NPR podcast is Code Switch. And they it was an episode about the high uh, maternal mortality rate among African-American women. And, and there was a person on there who had coined the term weathering, which was pretty much saying that the uh, psychological effects of racism were having physical effects of stress that were that were that were um, exacerbating the stress that happens during pregnancy that was putting uh, black mothers at risk more because and and so this is and just to give you a background on on this thing weathering this is a, I believe this is an offshoot of kind of a, a new field um, it's kind of a hybrid field uh, it's called psychoneuroimmunology again psycho neuroimmunology. And so psychoneuroimmunology pretty much says that uh, what happens to you psychologically uh, triggers a reaction in your, in your uh, nervous system that then sends a reaction to your immune system and it affects your health. And anything that does not get processed correctly uh, is going to be kept within your body and will have a negative effect. There's a very interesting book called the body keeps score, right? Where pretty much uh, it, it tracks how traumatic events are uh, trapped within the body, kind of, and they rage out sometimes through 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 cancer, sometimes through high blood pressure or or uh, heart attacks, and all of these unprocessed things, the, the the things that are that happen within the subconscious. Um, if we do not make them conscious, right, as Kwame Torre says, you know, the job of the revolutionary is to make what is subconscious conscious. If we do not go through the process of of making things conscious or it, in the area of fragility and resilience where the power on top is so fragile that they suppress and do not allow um, the oppressed to, to to express that but believe in the myth of resilience the body doesn't understand resilience, right? The, the whole, you know, well, if I put my mind to it, I can do it. You can do it, but guess what else is going to happen? Bad things are going to happen to your body. And that's, that's, that was one of, the contri- one of the major contributing factors of this high maternal mortality rate that you see among African-American women because we're talking about power structures. Remember, African-American women, uh, as Malcolm X says, uh, there are few people more despised in America than has been the African-American woman because they are an African-American and they are also a woman. So we're on the bottom of two power structures, right? America is really po- propped up on a racist power structure, 
power structure, a patriarchal power structure, and definitely a capitalist power structure. So if you're a poor black woman, you're on the bottom of all three of those spectrums and the body is keeping score. Resilience is a lie. I know we love that word so much. It's like the two words that everybody loves. You're so articulate and you're resilient, (laughs) right? But resilience is a lie when we're talking about the physical effects of it. And that's why self-care is so important. That's why counseling is so important, because you need a way in or for that uh, the hell that is ruminating in your subconscious. If it is suppressed, it will just release that into your body and it won't be good for your health. But if you're staying on top of the power structure and saying, uh, don't say anything. Don't challenge the power. Don't you can't tell me that I need to change my power structure. I'm going to be polite to you and you're going to be resilient. And this is the way it's going to be. <laughs> right. It's a lie. It's a fantasy. And it's a privilege that you can live in that fantasy because and, and also, like, I'm pretty sure that anyone who has required to be resilient would rather not. Right. Resilience, not a choice. It's like either I'm going to continue going on or I'm not going to. I don't like the the, the, the choice of not going. So I'm going to be, I guess, resilient, but really I'm doing what I I can to survive. But there's a very great difference between surviving and living. And so politeness isn't going to get the job done. It requires if for justice to be done and for equity and equality to really take place, it, it, it requires the privileged to not be fragile, but to change how they participate in the power structure. Okay. I'm going to give a, a, a an example of, of let's, let's look at the times up um, movement, which is very important. The times up and the me too movement, which is very important. Uh, I mean, the, the feminist movement isn't, isn't new, but I'm, I'm glad that it's, it's, it's being seen on a, on a greater spectrum. It reminds me a lot of how, you know, African-Americans were talking about, um, uh, police brutality and, 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 and injustice. And, and when, uh, and of course it's not a blessing that this happened, but when you got to see, uh, your Sandra Bland's and your Eric Garner's and your, uh, Tamir Rice's and your Philando Castile's, it, 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 you were able to see the voices that fragility was trying to suppress. And you were able to see it and say that this is real. Resilience doesn't solve everything. Yes, we become more polite, perhaps, but it's just a polite repression. It's not actual freedom. There's a great uh, roundtable discussion that happened right after Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech with James Baldwin, Marlon Brando, um, uh, Harry Belafonte, Sidney Poitier, um, Charlton Heston, uh, and the director of Cleopatra with, um, what was her name? Elizabeth, uh, I can't remember, uh, Michael Jackson's friend or, or, or whatever. Um, and at the very beginning of it, I was listening to it and I almost missed it, but it, it, the, uh, I think it's Sidney Poitier, James Baldwin, I think the director of Cleopatra is kind of speaking in the beginning and and the, their director asked and says, well, I, you know, after today, you know, um, have we really stopped the oppression 
or have we just become more polite about it? Right. And so and there's a song on my upcoming album um, where I talk about this, where, you know, people people, you know, the the narrative between uh, African-Americans and and, and, and and white people or, or just non-white people and white. Right. That power dynamic, you know, the, the language has become more polite. But when you, you know, try and book an Airbnb, the result is the same. Right. The power structure is still in place. The myth that certain people are dangerous inherently just by who they are. Right. And you can look up, you know, I think uh, the Department of Justice uh, or or they or they hired, I think, Eric Holder to come in and kind of look at uh, ways to prevent discrimination on Airbnb, even though, you know, when you look from the years of the 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 the, the narrative and the words that were used back in the 60s or whatever you see here, you know, it's not that different. I mean, the words are different, but the actions are are the same. But within that conversation, um, uh, Harry Belafonte uh, and the director of Cleopatra uh, have strangely agree on this thing because Marlon Brando and Charlton Heston are kind of in that very much trite, you know, um, whenever you want to bring up anything. It's a really a great uh, it's a great it's a great clip that kind of shows white fragility on display in in mostly in Marlon Brando because they're talking about slavery and injustice and Marlon Brando was kind of saying, well, you know, they they do slavery everywhere and, you know, all these all these other different things. And so uh, the, the the host acts Sidney Poitier, what is what is there to do about the Negro problem? And, you know, Sidney Poitier said, I'm, I'm, I'm not a problem. It's not a Negro problem. It's a Negro question. And the director of Cleopatra. And now, uh, again, I'm not trying to say that this is the most woke brother. I mean, he took, you know, Cleopatra and made her white. So, <laughs> you know, but I guess after Dr. King's speech, he 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 became enlightened. And he says, you know, I don't you know, the Negro is not the problem. Uh, we have been a problem to the Negro, and I think it is the responsibility of white people to change how we participate with the power structure, right? And um, Harry Belafonte, you know, also, you know, kind of also agrees and says, you know, like, you know, we're, you know, the Negro is not a problem. We came here. This was done to us. And now you say it's up to us to fix it. We didn't get to participate in the power structure. We're 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 fighting to be able to vote so we can participate in the power structure. But it is up to to the to the the people who have profited from the power structure to change how they participate. And so I'm going to uh, now give uh, an example. And hopefully this is something that can that can help and put it in modern time. So the very popular times up. Uh, movement. Uh, and I, I don't say popular to me like demeaning, like oh, popular. It's it's important. Uh, but so at the uh, I think it was the Golden Globes. They asked everyone to wear black and to wear you know the Times Up pin. And uh, Oprah gave a speech, and Meryl Streep was has been you know a big vocal uh, participant in that. Um, uh, and, you know, even some of the people who had wore Time's Up pins now, you know, have had accusations, you know, against some of the men have accusations of actual sexual assault with them. And so I think that's a great example of, you know, a lot of times. Uh, and so here's here's how you see what is a what is a 
what is fake activism, fake revolution versus a real activism and real revolution. If, oh, if the activism, if the boycott, if the revolution is not asking those in power to change how they participate, it's a fake revolution. Give you an example. So if if a if a actor, and I know this is way more than Hollywood, right? This is way past Hollywood. And so uh, uh, if an actor in Hollywood, right, has a times where's you know, a male actor wears a times up pen, and he's all, you know, where's all black, but on the next film that he gets, if he fails to ask the director or whoever's or the producer is responsible for writing the text to say, hey, are we getting paid the same or are we getting paid in the, in the same ballpark as my female counterparts? Or am I still profiting unjustly because of patriarchy? Right. Now, because that's more than just a polite motion and, you know, showing up and doing one one event based thing. That is actually the privilege looking at their power and saying, hmm, I don't want to participate in the same way. Let me change this on behalf of the people who have been forced to be resilient. Right. Um, and so. Is that a true revolution if it, if it doesn't change participation? Right. If, if, if we don't begin, if we don't, if we. It's so strange. And again, this is the same thing that we see that we saw in the in the roundtable that I just discussed, where the people in power do all of this wrong to uh, the person at the bottom of the power structure. And then when it's time to change, fragility kicks in and it says, oh, it's your problem. Now you have to do this. Make sure you don't do this. You don't do this. And you see this so much with sexual assault. Right. Uh, men have, per, you know, perpetuated in the, uh, the, the you know, started objectifying women and, and, and raising this, this culture that women were property and, and, and women were, were just, um, potential sexual exploits. Right. Uh, but when it's time to, 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 to say it's time for to stop to this, then people want to say, oh, well, they should, they shouldn't dress this way or, or women shouldn't do this. Women shouldn't do this. Like, no, it's about what men need to stop doing. We need to stop Raising men in a culture that objectifies women. We need to teach men that men, that women are more than just a sexual experience. Men need to do that. Men need to stand up and say, you know, we're profiting unjustly that the, that women are getting paid so much less or, or that I'm getting paid. I'm getting paid more than a woman that's more qualified than me. That, that, is, that is what is needed for the change to happen. We as men, well, I won't say everyone here who's listening as a woman. I'm just speaking as a man to other men and saying that we need to stop saying women need to do this or if women did this or, or, did, or she should have known this. was No, we need to change the way that we participate in a power structure. And that's the same thing, but a, a, a lot of times that's met with male fragility, right? And I know in this term fragility is normally just white fragility and then people just, you know, white shame and all this other stuff. I'm talking about male fragility right now <laughs> because 
it, there's been many a room I've been in where women have have brought up this just talk about the pay gap. And then it's always, well, you have to factor in, you know, uh, a pregnancy or, or why are you assuming they want to have children? <laughs> right. Like, or, 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 or well, you, if the research is skewed and, and, and X, Y, Z is like, look, listen, stop being so fragile because, you know, if that person is right again, this is truth telling you do not like a truth that's going to cost you some profit. And so you're trying to shut it down. That's all. That's all what fragility is. That is our working definition of fragility in this conversation. Again, I will read it. Fragility is an attempt to silence or suppress voices that seek to challenge how the privileged participate in the power structure. So many times when women try to say these things, men try to shut them down. And then in a church context, men will use the Bible to do it. Like, I feel like the only women I, 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 I grew up learning about was um, was uh, Jezebel and she was evil because she wanted power or something. Right. And uh, Ruth and Esther, because they got real pretty for their man and waited. Right. <laughs> you know, but, you know, you get to hear about Deborah, the judge. Right. Who had uh, uh, who had enlisted uh, a male to pretty much do uh to do her battle plans and, and, and different things like that. And you don't hear about the Apostle Paul sending a woman to a church and saying, greet her as you would greet me, right? You don't get to hear these things because again, it's 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 patriarchy trying to protect itself and it's trying to su- su- suppress people, right? And so whenever we're talking about uh, a revolution, or whenever we want to see a power structure get deconstructed, some of it is going to, you know, there's some work required for those who are oppressed, but the the main brunt of the work should be of the privileged, and those are at the top of that power structure saying, I'm going to change the way that I participate. And that's 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 how it's truly going to happen, but it is unjust it is unjust that those at the top of the power structure get to control the pace of of how people list the grievances that they've done to them, right? It is unjust that at the expense of 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 black truth and black feelings that white people get to say, "Oh, that's too much. I I want a safe space." We we didn't get a safe space. <laughs> the oppressed didn't get a safe space. But now when it's time to do the correcting, then all of a sudden this fragility appears. And so just remembering resilience is a fantasy normally used to appease the oppressor into thinking what we've done isn't that bad. What we've done is recoverable. Some some though all things can be redeemed, some things cannot be recovered. There were lives lost. People, people lynched, opportunities missed, all because of 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 myths of whether that is whether whether that is uh, whether that's white fragility, whether that's male fragility, uh, and then you when then when you get into nationalism, 
right? You know, it's we're so fragile about America, right? We talked about Cal and Kaepernick last week. We're saying like, yeah, I don't know if historically the things that have happened, the things that happen presently, I don't know if it's great to pledge allegiance to the flag. Well, how dare you? How dare you? You you don't respect the troops. You don't X Y Z. Again, fragility is an attempt to silence or suppress voices that seek to challenge how the privileged participate in the power structure. And then you have the president of the United States calling nations that we have pillaged or that we have propped up dictators in, calling those same countries asshole countries, but refusing, refusing to view how we have participated in the, in the, in the pillaging of those countries. When you talk about colonialism, right, taking resources and taking people and and, and, and creating a stigma on a country or, or, or on a people so that the world is less likely to, to do business with them. When you, when you talk about Pop and Baby Doc, doc uh, propped up by um, uh, U.S. government and seeing Pop and Baby Doc, like, uh, by their own greed, destroy and bankrupt Haiti, right? And then to fast forward years in the future and say, well, their countries are in disarray or in shambles. Yeah, there's a reason why. And we profited off of the reason. And maybe the reason we're taking some of these people in, even though, and and, and first of all, it's, it's just not true that they, they are not profitable. Like most of the, uh, some of the most educated people, if you take a poll of America, some of the most educated people are immigrants, right? And, and pretty much everybody, except for Native Americans, were immigrants to this country anyway. It's, it's, it's just not true, but it's, and it's also ignoring, and it's a form of national fragility that is ignoring and try to suppress how, in order for the world to be um, restored, America has to change the way that they have participated in the power structure of the world. And so fragility and the myth of resilience is a boundary to true equality, to true equity, and, and, and to the true justice that we are called to pursue um, and the true justice that Dr. King called us to pursue as well. And so I'm going to leave you with a little example. This episode is probably going to be a little bit longer, but... I'm going to leave you with an example uh, and just a little just a little uh, metaphor to, to get you thinking about power, privilege and participation. Right. So I want to I want to uh, give this example. So. Um, so say a guy named John buys an iPhone X full price. Right. Everybody loves iPhones. So let's say that a guy named Steven steals John's iPhone X, which means he paid no price. Right. And so say someone named Susan comes along and buys John's stolen phone from Steven at half price. So here we see John paid full price. Steve steals it from John and then sells it to another person named Susan for half price. Now, let's say that Susan worked three weekend overtime shifts to pay Steve for John's stolen phone, right? Uh, so who was privileged 
in that circumstance? Who profited in that circumstance? Who was required to change their participation, right? So Susan, you know, Susan didn't steal it from John, right? Uh, she paid half price. I mean, she profited off of it. She got, she pretty much got a half off off of an iPhone at John's expense, right? So would it be right to say that Susan is required to change how she participates in the power structure between Steve and John? I, I know this is like confusing. So if you have to like slow it down and rewind it, feel free to do that. So um, now before you answer, imagine that the same events have happened between John and Steve and Steve and Susan since the first iPhone, right? So not only did this happen when John bought an iPhone X, this has been happening for a decade. John has been buying a phone, it's been getting stolen, and Susan's been paying half of half of the full price because John was stolen from, right? So the question here is, and here's some questions. Is Susan morally obligated to change her participation with Steve? and also with John, right? Does her profiting from buying an iPhone half price for a decade implicate her with the actions of Steven, even though every year she works hard to pay half price, right? So again, this is what we're talking about earlier. Privilege is not the absence of suffering, right? It's just the presence of unjust profit. So Susan worked three overtime shifts. She worked hard. She worked her, her butt off but she worked her butt off to pay half price <laughs> at the expense of John. Who was that bringing the other half? Is that the expense of John, right? And so these are, these are, these are kind of the, the, the questions that uh, we're asking here because I want you to think deeper about our own personal uh, relationships with unjust power structures. And if we want them to change again, like the whole theme of this show is that arithmetic teaches us that there can be no difference without subtraction. So if I want a difference in how power structures are, let's just look at, at America, right? If I'm at the top of the power structure, if I'm white and I'm at the top of the racial power structure in America, what subtractions am I willing to take to make a difference? And those subtractions are going to be in how I participate in the power structure. If I'm a male and my heart is broken about uh, the Me Too movement and about sexual assault and about the, the pay gap and just the injustice that has been done to women just from the origin of this country and even before the origin of this country and the things that still happen around the world. If I'm at the top of that patriarchal power structure, what subtractions am I willing to embrace in the way that how in the way that I participate with this power structure, if I'm an American and I and the more that I I I realize how unjustly America has been propped up and America has profited, how do I as an American? What subtractions do I need to take to change how I participate in that power structure? Right. Uh, if I as a Christian and seeing people being discriminated against by their country of origin or by their faith or or 
or uh, by the moral decisions they've made in their life. And I'm called to be, <laughs> to love my neighbor. What subtractions am I willing to take in my life to see the difference I want to see in the power structure that I that I benefit from, right? And so all these things intermingle, you know? Uh, you might be at the bottom of one power structure, but at the top of another power structure. But in order to see the difference that we want to see in a more just society, in a more equitable and an equal society, um, uh, a, a society that reflects uh, the beloved community that Dr. King called us to, and the kingdom of heaven that Jesus calls us to, where has our fragility suppressed voices that have sought to challenge how we need to change our participation? So one, the commitment that I want to make is we've got to let our fragility die. We have got to reserve fragility for the oppressed. And we have to take on the awkwardness, uh, the, 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 the challenge, the possibility that all that we've gained might not have been gained justly. And there are some things we need to return. There are some voices we need to uplift that we have previously suppressed. And, we, and that, is, that is the difference that I challenge you to make today. The death of fragility. We need to repent for those who we have oppressed. And we need to listen to their true story, their true feelings, and not just assume that they're all right because they're resilient. And, and they, they, they've, they're just designed to, 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 to take that, or that's just the way that it is, right? No, it's not the way that it, it, it might be the way that it is, but it's not the way that it should be. And, and our fragility and our suppression of true voices have had real damaging effects, and we need to own up to that. We need to stay in that uncomfortable situation. We need to seek out those uncomfortable conversations. And when they happen, we need to take a back seat and let the, the oppressed people drive. We need to let them tell their truth. And we need to sit with that truth, and we need to learn from that truth. And for those who have been forced to be resilient, it's okay to know that resilience is a myth. It's okay to acknowledge how you have been wounded. It is okay to be upset about what has happened to you. It is okay to ask and demand that those on top of the power structure that have, that have oppressed you change their participation. And to not be intimidated by their, their, their um, attempts to silence and suppress your voice. But know that that is the same, uh, that is the same place that Jesus was in, where his they sought to kill him and to trample and suppress his truth. But in, ultimately, you cannot kill the truth. And so I just want to encourage all of us as we uh, seek to have this difference in thought and as, as uh, you know, God arranges 
ways for us to realize where we are conformed to the patterns of this world or where we have blind spots like we were talking about in, 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 in last uh, week's episode. That when we approach a blind spot or where, we pl- or where we approach where we have profited unjustly, that we would have the courage not to run to fragility, but to extend that fragility to those who have been oppressed and to learn from them. And not just to learn from them and not just be more polite to them, but to examine and see where we need to change how we participate in the power structure and where we need to call and demand other people in power change how they participate in the power structure. So uh, that's all that I have for this week. This episode was a little bit longer. It was a lot to unpack, (laughs) but I hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, Again, this is Charlie Ray with a difference in thought. Uh, Like, comment, subscribe, share it um, if it's been helpful uh, for you all. Again, you guys can email me at a difference in thought at gmail.com with any ideas you guys might have or feedback that you guys have or something that you would like to um, have me talk about. You can follow me on Twitter at a diff in thought, A-D-I-F-F-I-N-T-H-O-U-G-H-T. You can follow me on SoundCloud at A Difference in Thought. You can go to iTunes, search A Difference in Thought. Be sure to hit subscribe so that you guys can know what's going on. And let me know how this has impacted you. But this has been episode two, The Injustice of Fidelity and Resilience. This is Charlie Ray with A Difference in Thought. Uh, thank you for listening. Stay tuned. More to come. More thoughts. More challenges. And as always, I love you. I love you. That's why I'm here. Peace and blessings. This is Charlie Ray with a different thought. Thank you for listening. Peace.